0: My friends, today's episode is sponsored by Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is the industry leader in online accountability software. I've used Covenant Eyes personally for well over a decade, and we also use their service in our ministry. Through our partnership with Covenant Eyes, you can try out their services for free for 30 days when you enroll at CovenantEyes.com and use our promo code, BEBROKEN. That's CovenantEyes.com and promo code, BEBROKEN. The link is also in today's show notes. So sign up today for Covenant Eyes and discover the freedom that comes with online accountability. Good day, listeners and viewers. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. We're glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and I have a, a new friend on the line with me. I've got Dr. James Reeves with me. And so, uh, James, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah. So, James, I'd love for our listeners to kind of get to know you because I, I got to meet you for the first time actually recently at the Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit. And I was so glad that you were able to come. Um, but I'd love for our listeners to kind of hear a little bit of your background in ministry. And um, and your time with uh, your church, City on a Hill, Mm -hmm. and and then maybe how you got into this um, space of ministry, working specifically with uh, sexual abuse.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I uh, I'm a child of the teenager of the '60s, and uh, I came to Christ right out of the Jesus movement of the '60s, which is going to go down in history as one of the great uh, spiritual revivals uh, in history. And I was a street kid. My dad was a town drunk, alcoholic, and uh, didn't go to church. Never been there. And my 18th year, it's come that Damascus kind of road experience that happened a lot of times with uh, us who were dopers in the uh, in the 60s as teenagers. I came to Jesus, and my life was changed. And uh, six months later, uh, I was in college, (laughs) preparing for the ministry. Uh, College was not something I had considered. In fact, I dropped out of high school twice. And my dad died my first month into Mm. my college experience. He was 41 years old, uh, died of alcoholism. And um, But, you know, I went through college, uh, went to Baylor University. Uh, I transferred to Baylor, actually, because I started in a school that if you could get the loans and the money to go, you could, they'd let you go. Baylor would have laughed if I'd lied out to high school, but I was able to, got my grades up, transferred to Baylor. I majored in New Testament and classical Greek. Uh, I love the Greek text. I love the Greek language. Uh, went to seminary. Uh, graduated from seminary in 1981 with my master's degree and in 88 with my doctorate from the same seminary, the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary here in, in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I'm married to Laura. Uh, 42 years we've been married. And sometimes when you get up to that many, you just start clicking off decades. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> we've been in ministry our entire marriage. Uh, she doesn't know me apart from ministry and I don't know her mm-hmm. apart from ministry. she's been a, a partner with me. Uh, we started this church in 1984, uh, in Fort Worth. And uh, so I've been here 37 years. For about the first seven or eight years, we were kind of a typical church. Uh, just kind of trying to figure things out. And it really wasn't the model of ministry that I think fit my background or my passion, but it was what I was taught to do and it was what we were doing. But in 1992, we trans, we kind of transformed the church into what we now call the hospital church model. And and that means being a place where people honestly can be honest, um, not just putting on their Sunday best, but, but really be honest about their hurts. And uh, that came out of a traumatic, time for me over that past that's two or three year period of time where I was beginning to deal with childhood wounds that I had not even known were there and uh, but they started coming together in my mid-30s and uh, I nearly flamed out during that period of time just dealing with the depression and not even really knowing what it was and um, it was really a lot of just I think I was angry I really was angry because I had been cheated out of a childhood Uh, I was angry at my father Uh, Mm. We didn't do birthdays. We didn't do holidays. We didn't do Christmas. We didn't do any of that stuff. We, it was, we lived on a dirt road in a tin roof house on the edge of town. And uh, I never had a childhood. And when I started having my own children, I started looking at them, the nurturing that my wife was giving them and that she was teaching me to give them. And I thought, I remember sitting there thinking, I don't have a category for that. Hmm. I do not have a category in my life for what that must feel like as my children. and I was so thankful that God had broken the curse in me, but then I started going back and dealing with, why didn't I have that? And you know how that goes and where that takes you. It didn't take me any very good places, but it ultimately did lead me to a place of struggling with forgiving my father and, and, and beginning to tell my story. Uh, and as I started doing that from the church pulpit, people started coming to me and saying, you know, thank you so much for being honest. And that's kind of how we started. So 30 years later, we're still doing that kind of thing. We offer about 30 different types of groups for helping people, uh, post-abortion for women, uh, men who are dealing with uh, sexual issues in pornography, that kind of thing. We've been doing ministry to women who are survivors of sexual abuse for 30 years. From the very beginning, we started doing that. And I, in fact, have a woman on my staff. That's her whole job.
0: Yeah. So that's... And that's what I really want us to focus our, our conversation on today, mm-hmm. because um, you've you've developed a series um, mm-hmm. called the the Fearless Series for women, um, and I, I want to I want you to share with us. I mean, you said you've been doing ministry to women uh, who've experienced sexual abuse for thirty years. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, but this Fearless Series is relatively new. So so how did that come about after doing this ministry for so long? Tell us a little bit about how the series was birthed.
1: Okay. Well, we had been doing this kind of hospital style of ministry for about 18 years before I wrote about it. And in 2000, my first book, Refuge, was published, which was the story of the hospital church. So people, 15 or 20 people read the book, (laughs) I guess, maybe around the world. But then on the tail end of that, uh, I was invited to be a presenter uh, on the Conquer series for men that was uh, produced by Kingdom Works in Florida and Ted Roberts' Pure Desire Ministry was a part of it. And I had no idea where that was gonna lead. But with those two things together, I started getting opportunities to go into churches and teach the biblical principles of being a hospital church and what that looks like and and how to even begin that process. And I noticed something that a lot of the churches I was in were ministering to men uh, who were struggling with pornography and issues through the conquer series and then pure desire groups and things that would follow after that. But not one of them was doing anything to minister to the women in their church who were survivors of sexual abuse. And I was very aware of the statistics of that because we had been doing it for so many years. In fact, I have a woman on my staff who got her healing here almost 30 years ago and has been on my staff for 10 years doing this work with women. And it was very frustrating. And so, I was kind of talking with a couple of pastors on my staff one day and about there needs to be a tool, a a tool to get the conversation started, like Conquer series had done for men. And a couple of the guys said, well, why don't you make one? And I had no idea what that was going to look like, but I went to my elders and I said, guys, this needs to be done. And I I, I'm going to try to do it and I need, I need money. And they gave me tens of thousands of dollars for a budget to do this. I hired a young filmmaker who was an up and coming young man in my church. I knew nothing about how to do the technicalities of it, but I did understand the subject as much as a man can. I understood where it needed to go. I knew some people, Shannon Etheridge and some other people around the country that are working in that area and called Shannon. She said, yes, I want to be a part of it. So we took the, the production crew around the country interviewing women and came back and did all the editing and put this thing together. And it literally is a miracle of God. uh, What came out of it. And we did five subjects that Mm -hmm. I knew need to be covered. The first one is the prevalence of sex abuse in America of women. And that's, there's some education that needs to happen there. People need to understand how prevalent this is. The second, what are the problems that can come out in a woman's life? And these women on the series, they talk about their own story and they talk about, in their professional work of helping women things then the third is why this needs to be a priority for the church where has the church dropped the ball in the past of not being a safe place and what can the church do now to make it a safe place and the fourth we talk about prevention how can we as parents educate our children from the time they're little uh, how can we do this in the church and the community and the last one is what does a pathway of healing actually look like and uh, it's It's a it's a big door for a church to take this tool and say this is for women and we want women to understand whether you have been uh, abused in this way or not. This is for all women. So it's just kind of a safe big door for women to walk in through to get involved in the process. They don't have to admit, in other words, that they have been the victim of sexual abuse. It's just for all women. So it's about a 25 minute video followed by a one hour small group each week. And that's where the gold is. That's where the stories begin to come out and in and, and that safe place with other women. And so this getting the conversation started, and then at the end of that five weeks, the women that have actually talked about their experience, maybe for the first time, then there's an opportunity to go on in a more lengthy process just for those who have talked about their abuse and now need mm-hmm. to go into a deeper healing experience. So it's, it, it's this big open door, to make it safe to walk through, get that conversation started, and then carry those that actually need that work on in a, in a further way. So we we kind of designed it along that. I wrote a, a workbook for the follow-up, wrote a study guide to go along with the series for the small group discussion, and uh, <clears throat> we're having some churches around the country that are beginning to use it. We field tested it here, in our church, and uh, it has uh, some incredible things are beginning to happen.
0: Uh, so let me let me ask the obvious question that I think okay. um would would be one of the first questions that anyone, not just a woman, would ask about this, and that is,, uh, James, you're a man. Like and you're <laughs> talking about female sexual abuse. Yeah. What, how does that connect? Like, what's what's your credibility? How do you talk into this? You know, I think I think God has a sense of humor, actually. Yeah. Uh, because I tell people all over, a
1: woman should have done this. Mm-hmm. Now I have my wife working with me on it. Okay, so I, it wasn't just a, a dude, you know, that was doing all this. She was helping me guide the process, and all the women who I interviewed, they schooled me. Yeah, you know, so I just put the pieces together. Really, they're the ones that that you know gosh are just incredible in their stories and of healing and and now their work with women so but it is kind of odd and I am asked that question and I think it started in early childhood and this mm-hmm. is the truth I, I said that my father was a, a desperate alcoholic he was also an abusive husband and <clears throat> he uh, was very abusive to my mother so I can remember as a little boy five and six years old I would stand between him and my mother and protecting her thinking I could protect her from him. And I think right there in the early life, the seeds were birthed for me to be an advocate for women Mm -hmm. and people that know me, uh, 40 years of ministry. I've always been an advocate for women. Uh, I, I believe that women oftentimes are so marginalized and, and they do their, their God's gift, uh, of nurturing, uh, to families. And, and, and I, I, I typically kind of say, you know, if you look in general terms, men are takers and women are givers. Now there are exceptions to that rule, but in general, the nurturing aspect of a woman is to give, 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 and a man just take, take, take. And so I've always really been a vocal advocate as a pastor for women. And so when this project came up, it just really fit right into really what had been my heart for many years is to to stand up for women who oftentimes are not willing or not able in whatever situation they're in. Uh, any pastor who's pastored for, for more than a few weeks is gonna have a situation in a marriage where there's some inequities going on there with mm-hmm. a husband taking advantage of his wife and 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 trying to negotiate their way through that. So you know, I think that's kind of, like I said, God has a, he's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And, and I suppose that this is a little bit of that. And yeah. I, but I say this, Jonathan, and I say it in all sincerity. This is the most important thing I have ever done. And I mean that with everything that is in me. I don't know if I've done many important things in ministry, but I do know they pale into insignificance. In comparison to this, Um, I'm 67 years old and to think that God has allowed me at this point in my life to do finally the, I think the crowning jewel of ministry for me is to be able to do this. And I I still, when I watch the videos, I tear up Mm -hmm. I, I can't keep from it. And I'm so thankful that God has given me the ability to do this, but, or not the ability. He just did it in spite of me. I guess. But that's the answer: how a man winds yeah. up doing it.
0: Well, and doing and, uh, and I have gone through the videos, and they're they're phenomenal—not just in their their quality, but the the content. And mm-hmm. you really did uh, you really did get some phenomenal women to speak into mm-hmm. this space. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about the 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 background of the ministry that you have been doing at City on a Hill. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in this space of helping women with sexual abuse because obviously that spoke into so much of what you then created mm-hmm. in the Fearless series. Can you talk a little bit about what are the the major um, challenges and hurdles for women who have secretly been carrying their pain uh-huh. for them then okay. entering into a space where they can actually talk about it? Because that's got to be a huge hurdle for many women yeah. who face sexual abuse.
1: It, it definitely is, and that is something, in fact, not only uh, is it a hurdle in a, uh, in a church for that to happen, but it has been a hurdle that I'm facing I'm having to get over with the Fearless series. And so I can really speak to both of them uh, why it's difficult in a, a church for a woman to talk about this. And then those very reasons are the things that are becoming huge hurdles uh, to, for us to get over, uh, about getting the Fearless series there. And one of them, I think, is there's a great lack of understanding. And, and in most churches, most of the leadership is male. And so right there, you have a you have a, a mountain because men don't get it. They just don't get it. It may have a pastor's heart, may love people, care for people, but they don't get this subject because they're a man. Now men are sexually abused, but the the numbers are much more for women, and it affects the woman in a different way. And and I only know that because women have been telling me this for thirty years. So first of all, there's a there's a man that has to get passionate about this, and it doesn't. It's not an indictment on lots of pastors uh, that they don't do this work. It's that they don't get it, mm-hmm. and then so they don't talk about it. In the in the public arena and so then you have on the other side of this thing that you have women who have not experienced sexual abuse who don't have a an understanding of the depth and prevalence of it because why because it's not being talked about it's not being talked about from the pulpit in leadership but then women who have experienced it they're not talking about it because of their shame because of all the things that are wrapped around it, and because there's not been a safe place. The church has not been a safe place because the leadership is not even dealing with this issue, it's not even discussing this issue. So you've got this code of silence that's going around everything. You've got it's not being talked about from the pulpit. Women who haven't experienced it, they're not going to be talking about it, and they don't have a clue how bad it is. And the women who are not talking about it and who have had it, think they're the only one. So you've got all of this going on here to create this code of silence around the sexual abuse of women. So when you come with a tool like this, you've got a senior leader and maybe a staff of leadership who don't get the problem. You've got women in the church who don't get the problem because they're not talking about it. But once the door is open with a safe tool like this, the brave leaders that do this, then all of a sudden the conversation gets started and everybody goes, oh, my soul. I had no idea you had experienced this. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry you experienced this. And women, because they tell us a minimum. Marnie Faree said this on the Spirit series, and Marnie's a rock star. <laughs> I mean, she is just a rock star when it comes to subject because she's a practitioner. She's experienced it. She's been helping women for years. She said a minimum of one in three
0: mm-hmm. in the
1: church. If you go one, two, three, one, two, three, just go down the row of your church. One, two, three, every three stand up. That gives you a visual representation of the numbers of women in your church ministry that have experienced this and the vast majority have never told anyone or got any help. So if this woman who has experienced it is going to come forward for pastoral or ministry help, she's gonna to have to go to a man. Mm. That's a walk. Mm-hmm. She's gonna to have to go to a man that's never talked about this issue. She's never even heard him acknowledge that it's a real thing. So how easy is that gonna be for her to do it? So mm-hmm. what churches have to do on top of all this is they have to have a woman. They have to have a woman of has a voice uh, in the church, who has respect, a woman who says, Here's your go-to person. Ladies, you can go anonymously, privately. You can go to her. Churches don't have that. And that was one of the first reasons that I put Vanessa Elswick on my staff after she had been involved in the healing process for years because I knew we've got to have a woman that they can go to. As much as we are a safe place in the church, I'm still a man. I'm still a dude. Mm -hmm. And as much as I talk about it, I'm still a guy. You know, so I've got to have that woman and she doesn't have to be on the professional staff, but she's got to be somebody that's given visibility. Mm-hmm. Got to talk about this. We've got to break this code of silence around this issue.
0: Yeah. Now, you uh, you mentioned the the five uh, areas of focus that you have in the mm-hmm. um, in the series. Um, can you give us a little bit? I mean, you mentioned the one in three. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you give us some more information about just the prevalence of the problem? Like just how how big this is, because I thought that was real eye opening in mm-hmm. the series just to start there, because I think you're right. There's there's uh, there's a little bit of information that maybe we know uh, just even in the general public and, and maybe mm-hmm. some in the church. But there is this whole it's kind of like the the iceberg illustration. Right. You have you just know mm-hmm. you can only see the tip, but there's this massive amount underneath the surface. Can you give us a little bit more information about just how big the problem is?
1: Yeah, um, I'll do my best from the perspective of just three decades of experience leading a church that's doing this, but really from these women on the filler series, because they're the the pros, because they're the women that now are in the trenches helping women. When you talk to a medical doctor, we have a medical doctor there on the thing, she'll give you one uh, and she actually is the uh, director of the child abuse program at a major children's uh, hospital here in our area. Um, she'll give you one kind of percentage and all that she can talk to is from the medical perspective, those who seek medical help. So that's the percentages she has. You talk to uh, a law enforcement, then they'll give you a, 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 another look at it because they're only going to speak from that which was reported. You talk to a social worker, they're going to give you another one, but you talk to that counselor who's in that trenches and that's Marnie and that's Shannon and, and that's these women that are one-on-one with women. They're going to say, look, law enforcement, medical community, they're getting the tip of the iceberg. When they quote statistics, they're quoting the only the ones I can quote, which is in their area of discipline. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you as a therapist, they're getting the tip of the iceberg it's a minimum and, and it's funny to hear not funny funny but it's interesting to hear marnie and the other women say one in three it's worse than that mm-hmm. but that's the best that we can say now yeah. marnie says one in three overt some overt thing so you can take it from that point and go well then what does that mean you know because things that are not necessarily overt can have a devastating effect on a woman yeah you know so my soul uh one of the counselors said i she said people say how many people how many women in your experience as a therapist have experienced sexual abuse she says i challenge you to find anyone that hasn't right you know (laughs) i and of course that's from a therapist's perspective so yeah and i think you know
0: I think it's one of those things too, where if you think about just, uh, you know, you could do just kind of an anecdotal uh, calculation from your Mm -hmm. 40 years in ministry. I could do it for my 20 years in ministry in this space specifically of sexual brokenness. Mm -hmm. And how many stories have we heard where when a person finally tells you their story, they said, they say something like, I've carried this for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Mm -hmm. So realize how long sometimes it takes for a person to tell that story. So what we're getting in terms of maybe some of these statistics are some of those people that have crossed that threshold where their story is known in some way, Mm -hmm. but how many hundreds and thousands more? Yeah are there that are still in that period of time where they're carrying Mm -hmm. the secret but i want to ask you i want to ask you specifically because i feel like there's several things that are rising to the surface here one is uh, i would love for you to speak to um the the women out there that are in that space where they're still scared they're lonely they're afraid Mm -hmm. they're they're hiding um in their pain but i also want you to speak to because you you make mention and i think you're absolutely right on the The hurdle that are that that comes in the form of even well-intentioned godly men. Yes, right. What can these men do to create safer spaces, avenues to do whatever is necessary to give the access that these women need to the resources that will help them heal? So, can you speak to both of those individuals? I'll,
1: I'll, do, my, I'll do my best. Let me start with what these women said on the fearless series, not one of them got their healing journey started inside the church and they were Christian women. They were active in their churches, but they got their healing journey started outside of the church because of those things I talked about a moment ago. The church is not safe. In fact, one of the ladies, Gwendolyn Jones, who runs a nonprofit now, and she does support groups with women. Um, She said, all of the women that come to me, Christian women who come to me to get into these groups, they say the reason they didn't go to their church is that they were not going to be believed, they were going to be shamed, and they were going to be blamed. Mm. And she said repeatedly, over and over, the Christian women that I minister to, why would I not tell my, why would I tell my story? They're not going to believe me mm. or they're going to shame me with comments like, well, what were you wearing mm. or and many of them were children when it happened? I mean, you know, obviously, but it, no matter what a woman's wearing, there is no excuse for sexual violation. right? And it doesn't mitigate the damage or I'm, I'm not going to be believed. I'm going to be shamed and I'm going to be blamed. Now, the shame issue, as you well know, in sexual brokenness, is a humongous mountain for to get over to start dealing with the issue because there's so much internal shame. And when it's a secret and you've got shame, you go, I don't want people to know this secret because they're all okay. I'm the really the only one that's really hurting, and the truth of the matter is, they're not all okay, but everybody's being silent. So you've got these, this code of silence again. I I keep coming back to that. I think that's the most difficult thing that, that we face in helping broken people, whether it's in uh, men with pornography issues or whatever, is getting past this code of silence in the mm-hmm. church so that women can go, okay, the church, the pastor is acknowledging this is an issue. Our culture is acknowledging it. They're talking about it all the time now with the Mm -hmm. Me Too and, and all those things that are going on. There's a lot of problems with Me Too, but one of the things that happened is it got our culture bringing it out. Yet in the church, there's still this code of silence. We're not talking about it in the church. And then get a woman who is the point person and then have a strategy. The church has got to have a strategy. You know, we think strategically just about everything that we do. I know as a pastor, as a senior leader, we plan strategically how we're going to get God's word into people's lives. We, I mean, we think through. We have a strategy for that. I'm going to preach biblically. We're going to have classes. We're going to do discipleship. We're going to do mentoring. That's a strategy. We think strategically about how we're going to, you know, get people serving. Where is the strategy for ministering to women who are survivors of sex. There is one mm-hmm. there's no. So, and I think women know that. So they go, what good is it going to do me to talk to anybody about it? Yeah. Well, sister, I'll pray for you. Well, we should pray for her, but she needs more, much more than just our prayer. Yeah. She needs our ministry. And you know, I thank God for, for therapists. I thank God for Christian counselors out there. Uh, but, And sometimes people say that I'm kind of hear me and talk and they say, well, you're against counseling, aren't you? No, I'm not. I thank God for them. What I'm against is the church abdicating its God given call to be a place of help, hope, and healing. Mm -hmm. In my church, we work hand in hand with the therapy community. They send people to us as a church because they know that they can only carry someone so far. They've got to get them into a community where they can feel safe with mm-hmm. other women sharing their stories. And so we have therapists all over the Dallas Fort Worth area that will send people to us. And then, of course, we we recommend to therapy. We don't work in competition with the counseling community. We work in, in, in sync with them. And they say to us, they say, I'm so thankful for, for a Christian therapist anyway. I'm so thankful there's a church in the area that I can actually send people to. Mm-hmm. And I know that they're going to be taken care of. And, you know, I think that's just an indictment on the church in America that that every church that can't be said of them.
0: Yeah. And As I think that obviously them. there's a lot of work to be done to 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 create the kinds of uh, strategies to uh, uh, develop those kind of environments. But, James, we've only got a couple minutes left and I want to okay. I want to ask you one more question and then and then how. Um, people can get access to the Fearless series, but um, you know, like i said i've I've gone through the series. I think it's phenomenal and and I really couldn't couldn't recommend it more. Um, what are some obstacles that you're seeing to this series being adopted and 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 embraced within churches mm-hmm. and local communities? It's risky. Uh,
1: yeah. and I, I do think I'll just give you an anecdotal story, okay? Because um, that's all I have to go on right now, because it was just released within the last three or four weeks. But before that, there were pastors in our community area in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. And how many thousands of churches are there? But someone in there, a woman in their church, would, would talk to the pastor and say, I would really wish you'd look at this. And so the pastor would ask me, and I would send it to him. I think there were about eight of them. Do you, un- it died on all eight of their deaths it never got past their desk why first of all because he's a dude okay Mm -hmm. he doesn't get it second of all the subject scares him to death I don't know what to do with this that's why we developed this series though so he doesn't have to figure that out (laughs) okay Um, and so that's that's it's an obstacle so Quite frankly, I am going around pastors. And I just say that unapologetically. I love pastors. I've been one for 40 years. I love the church, but I figured out I gotta go to women. And so where I'm targeting marketing, if you will, or whatever, is I'm seeking for women in the churches who have a voice in their in their mm-hmm. in their Christian community. And I'm targeting them to get them to see this passionate about it, and then they can go to the pastor because they have a voice and they can speak into his life and say, Pastor, we cannot accept no anymore. We have got to talk about this in the church and say to him, because typically it is most often a hymn, you don't have to do this, Pastor. You can't do this. We don't expect you to. Mm-hmm. We just need your support pray for us, you turn us loose. We, the women of the church, will carry this banner because we're the only ones that can. Just like it, with men with pornography, a woman can't help a man. It's got to be other men. Right. And in this same thing, a man, whether he's a pastor or not, can't help these women. All he yeah. can do is give his support and they'll take it. And they will. They will take it. they just wait for somebody to I- come.
0: When I uh, when I first started our ministry, um, I had these grand ideas that I'm just going to be able to walk through the front door of every church, and they're going to want to, you know, deal with this stuff. And then I realized all the front doors were open, but I I, I recognized that basically there were men jumping out the windows. So I started <laughs> just going. I started going, to all the guys are jumping out the windows. and say, let's help them. And then abandon ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think you're doing a similar kind of thing of realizing, Hey, where, yeah. where are the, the women that are jumping out the windows that we can say, Hey, you know what we can, we can help. So where can, Absolutely. where can these, uh, these women okay. go to learn more about the fearless series? Okay. We have a website
1: it's F S and then the number four women.com fearless series F S for women.com and the way we've set this up it's streamed from our website and we're not selling it so the upfront cost to a church is not much it's $75 for them to be able to have unlimited access for eight weeks to all five videos just 75 bucks if they never do it again they've only risked $75 and I did it that way because I know a lot of these other video series are very expensive and it's a pretty good upfront investment for a church that to, do, to buy something that they may never do again. And so we said, if you just do it once, it only costs you $75, it's not a big risk. And uh, if you do it every year, a couple of times a year, it's 150 bucks a year for the church. The women buy their own workbook, buy their own study guide because they need to have some buy-in to the process. We've learned that about doing these groups. That sure. gives them a little bit of buy-in. So we just tried to make it as easy as we possibly can financially for everyone. And, uh, I've dedicated the rest of my life to this. I have resigned my senior pastor position in my church. Six weeks ago I did. I gave it to my young associate that I've raised up. He is now the senior pastor. I am only the teaching pastor. I'm responsible for Sunday and the elders have said, James, do whatever you have to do to get the filter series into churches. So that's what I'm doing. I prepare, I preach on Sunday and I don't go to the church any other time. I do stuff like this yeah and I'm happy to be able to do it well james um,
0: thanks we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we put that uh website in our show notes and uh encourage people to go check that out but thanks for being willing to put your voice in the space and and i want to commend you because um you're you're fighting against that natural taker instinct instinct in you as a man, and you're saying you know what There are women out there that are hurting, and I need to do whatever it takes in order to see them find a place for healing. And so I appreciate you stepping out into that space and being a voice. And thanks for being with us today on the program.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Jonathan, and I appreciate your ministry. And I want to give a shout out to Be Broken. They have agreed to endorse the Fearless series on our website, and that means a great deal to us because people know who you are. They don't know who I am. And so, when they see your stamp of approval on it, then they go, okay, this has been vetted. And, and, yeah. and I, I appreciate that tremendously. You don't know how much it means to me.
0: Yeah, well, we do believe in it. And uh, listeners, uh, again, go to fs4women.com to learn more about the Fearless series. And of course, you can always reach out to us at puresexradio.com. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.